Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 188. Have you requested your seven-day free version of the Positive Productivity Planner yet? If not, I want to encourage you to go over to thekimsutton.com forward slash 7DP and pick up your copy today. This free version of the planner is going to help get you on track of leading a more positive and productive personal and professional life. Again, you can get your copy at thekimsutton.com forward slash 7DP. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and today I am thrilled to introduce our guest, Kenneth Bader. Kenneth is the president of Bader Training and Consulting. Kenneth, welcome. Thank you so much. My pleasure to be on the show. I would love if you would introduce yourself a little bit further to the audience. Tell them what you do and how you got on the journey that you're on today. Certainly, you know, in, in my stock answer, especially at networking events, when people ask me, you know, what do you do? I usually answer as little as possible. Uh, <laughs> it usually gets a little bit of a laugh. Uh, it gets people's attention. But what I really do is create environments where employees actually want to come to work and customers want to keep coming back. Um, and I do that with what I call my B plus C plus S formula, which which simply stands for brand, culture, and strategy alignment. Uh, In other words, it answers the questions of what is the image that we need to portray out in the public? What's the experience? Because everything today is, is really about experiences. What's the experience we need to create both for and through our employees? And how do we drive more of the right business to our business? That is so huge. And that is so timely. I actually just let a client go earlier this week because while she was selling something to her clients and to her prospective team members, once entering the team, everything changed. And it was actually, well, it became impossible to be part of the team because everything was so out of alignment. It, I couldn't support it anymore. Yep, yep. I, you know, well, every, every good consultant, coach, service provider, as yourself, has has fired a client before. Um, I fired one this year. I fired one last year, and they were they were good people, but they just frankly didn't get it. They didn't understand that uh, that it really does start at the top. And if if you're creating an environment um, where employees don't want to go to work, where where they don't want to participate, they don't feel like they want to come in. Um, it makes it really, really difficult, not impossible, but close to it to to create an experience for your customers or your members or your clients, who, whoever it is that you serve. So I, I completely understand, Kim. Oh, yeah. And, the, and when you have team members who are posting stuff to social media for you, eventually that feeling is going to work its way into the words, even if they're not said. Oh, it's important. I mean, look at Zappos. I have to say, I've never personally ordered for them, but I've, I know enough about their culture that I know they're doing it from the inside out. And maybe that one day that I do buy shoes from them, I'll completely understand. But I've heard enough about their culture and how they treat their 
clients to know that they are doing something right. Now, it's interesting that you bring up Zappos. I've never purchased anything from them either, but I'm always very keen on learning about cultures, especially ones that are really highly regarded. And I happen to be at a conference, I want to say two or three weeks ago, where uh, uh, one of the executives from Zappos was speaking about their culture and, and how they, they really do have an employee's first mentality. And you know, a lot of times people, especially type A managers and leaders, think that that's soft and it's like, hey, you know, it should be customer first and so forth. But they actually you know, create a, a pretty strict system. Uh, but still are able to have fun. Uh, they actually, this the speaker even talked about the fact that they adopted their values and and basically some of the system and standards uh, from those that the Navy SEALs use. Uh, and they're definitely not soft. Uh, but they talked about you know how they they really focus on the employee, how they give them the right structure and, and expectations of them. Um, but but also allow them to to not only have fun, but be in, highly involved in, in what the organization is doing, whether it's involvement in in the meetings or involvement in strategy. I was I was really impressed with uh, with what they shared in terms of the Zappos culture. Now, in full disclosure. Well, I'm an um, Infusionsoft certified partner, and when I went to my certified partner training over three years ago, I was also six, seven months pregnant with twins. So this could have been pregnant delirium or something. I might be making up words here. But I seem to remember them saying that they, I could be getting this all wrong, but they have like a probation period for new employees. And if the employee at the end of the probation doesn't think that they can adopt the company motto and mission and everything, then they will actually pay them to go find another job. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. It's just phenomenal that they want to make sure that everything is so in alignment. Yeah, it's interesting. I've I've worked for some some good cultures in the past as well. Um, they certainly didn't pay people to leave in in that way, but they were very very wise in encouraging people that you know if you if you felt that that you couldn't be happy here, let's talk about it and you know let's let's see what we can do about finding you a position someplace else because they didn't want people that didn't fit um, into into their way of doing business. Um, in fact, in the in the name escapes me. I, I really need to look this up. But one example that I use in some of my training is there's a, a grocery store chain in the Northeast where they liberally ask new employees, you know, what do you want to do? And, you know, they usually get the ubiquitous, you know, first answer, well, I'd really like to move into stock or be in management at the grocery store. And they usually stop and say, no, 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 no. What do do you want to do? And and then it usually comes out like, well, I, I, I really want to be a guitar player or I want to be an engineer. Um, and they use that and, because they understand that that they're not always going to keep an employee for life, that people have a passion and, and they may have a certain career uh, aspiration that, that doesn't necessarily fit long term with the grocery store. But what they do is they treat their employees like people and say, all right, in the case of the engineer, we're, we're not building any new grocery stores anytime soon. Uh, but maybe there's a position or maybe there's some work that we can have you do that will help you learn some skills that will eventually help you to be this great engineer. 
And, and what that does is it creates not only this this really positive culture and in, in high morale, but also, you know, while somebody may only work there six months, 12 months, 18 months, you know, they they end up being a customer for life. They may never work there again, but they might end up being a customer and their family being loyal consumers of the grocery store for 10, 20, 40 years. So it, it makes a lot of sense. Oh, absolutely. I'm even thinking about those extravagant like Super Bowl displays that we see here in America in the grocery stores, you know, where they take an assortment of soda cans and they have to figure out how to build the football helmet so it doesn't fall over on customers who are walking by. (laughs) There's something for an engineer. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So in our pre-chat, I would love if you brought up a little bit of what we are talking about and I'll just refresh and also fill the listeners in. You were talking about how often as coaches and or consultants, we think that we, we need to go and work on our own systems and policies and everything because we're doing it for our clients. I'd love if you explained to the listeners where we were starting to go and then we cut that off so that we could bring it into here. Sure, sure. I've been doing I've been doing consulting for about 15 years for for small businesses and I would say for at least 12 of those years um always thought well being a consultant or a business coach uh, was much like being a great mechanic that if you needed to work on your own business, you know, much like a mechanic would need to work on his or her own car, that you just simply did it because you had that skill and you had that expertise. But frankly, over the last two or three years, um, I don't know if I got hit upside the head or something finally clicked in my mind, um, or I just happened to, to get some clarity in, in working with some other consultants on my business that I realized that the mechanic analogy is completely the wrong analogy, that you you very well may be a great consultant, uh, much like a brain surgeon may be a great brain surgeon. Um, but working on your own business sometimes, you know, may very well be like a brain surgeon doing surgery on his own brain. Uh, probably not a good idea uh, in a lot of different respects. And yeah, you know, I could I could tell too in the last two or three years that that my business has is really benefited not only from a productivity standpoint but also from a profit standpoint in being able to trust other people, trust somebody else as of right now as we're recording this to to completely redo my website, something I used to do before on my own. Um, you know, using a consultant to, to help me develop a true marketing strategy, despite the fact that, that I do have skills in marketing and branding. You know, while I do an excellent job of helping clients really see where their brand and, and possibly their marketing tactics need to go. Um, in my own business, much like my clients, you're, you're just too close to it. You, you really do need to get uh, not just another professional skill, but another professional opinion uh, on what you're doing. Amen. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> I know that's very uh, eloquent as far as podcast host goes. Amen. My podcast actually should have launched six months before it did. However, with my design background, I thought I needed to design my logo and I couldn't get it right for six months. I I had 40 episodes with guests ready to go when I finally launched three days after I found my graphic designer. 
because I gave him the story. I told him what I was trying to do. Within a day, he turned around the perfect logo to me. Now, this is not typical, folks. It's not always going to be a day thing. But I couldn't believe that I had stalled for six months because I couldn't, number one, get my logo the way I wanted it myself. And number two, because I didn't think sooner to outsource it. Yep. No, I, I completely hear you, Kim. My website is is like your example of the podcast. Um, you know, I always felt that, well, hey, I, I know marketing. I know branding. I should be able to do this on my own. But, you know, to, to put it bluntly, it always looked like crap. <laughs> it's it. Uh, I, I finally realized that, you know, hey, you know, while I, I have certain skills that are, are very valuable and very expert, um, one of them is simply not graphic design. Um, while I know branding, I can't make anything visually look uh, pleasing. Um, and so the web designer I've been using has, has taken me into some new areas of, of not only where I want my brand to go, but how visually it, it really needs to, to look, which I would have, I, and I would have never gone down that road. Now, having said that too, and, and I, I teach some of my clients this when it's appropriate, is, is you also have to realize, you know, what makes sense to, to delegate and outsource and and what you're really good at you know where your skills are and to use the the website analogy um, one of the things that, that I've found is is one of my skills and I always joke that I only have a few skills but the ones I have are really good I can't <laughs> I can't make anybody a great meal or, or fix anybody's car to go back to uh, the mechanic analogy but you know I write very well you know that's 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 one of my skills so so even on the website, you know, we we agreed that okay, I'll write the copy because nobody knows my business and my point of view, and nobody can write as well as I can. Um, at least not from a, a copywriting standpoint for for my own business. So I'll take care of that, but you do all the visual, and that's created a nice little synergy between you know two professionals that have very very different skill sets. So you know, much like a a service business and one in particular that I'm working with right now which happens to be a financial institution in the Midwest great CEO very smart is delegated a lot of different things but one of the things that that he kept on his his own on his own plate which I was a hundred percent behind is is we realized and and he had the epiphany that of the whole management team that he was the best in terms of mentoring people and so yeah that was one thing that he wasn't going to delegate. He's going to say, you know what, I'm going to delegate some of these road activities. I'm going to delegate uh, working on this this new uh, uh, business structure. But one thing I'm not going to delegate is being the main mentor among our management team, because that is a skill that I have. And, and that's been good for that business. So you know, under, understand you know, where your best skills are. You know What you do want to keep is as a business owner or as a solopreneur and what, okay, just isn't isn't your ball of wax and, and, and where you might be able to, to get somebody with uh, with a little bit more expertise
employees than than you can. I think that's that's a big productivity tip in and of itself. Did you happen to hear how I realized just how much time I was spending editing my own podcast episodes? For the last three months instead of delegating. (laughs) I did not, but I bet you're going to share that with us, Kim. (laughs) Seven, five hours a month I was spending editing my own episodes. Now, I've I've shared this on a previous episode. The only reason I asked you uh, if you had heard it, because I shared it in a group that we're in together. But hey, we shouldn't be spending all of our time in in Facebook groups (laughs) or else we need to get more clients, right? (laughs) Yeah. But my client billable rate is not inexpensive, as I'm sure yours is not either. And I, when I realized how much money I had basically flushed down the toilet by being ineffective and editing my own episodes, I just I needed that wooden plank to hit me on the head. Actually, or maybe it did, and that's why I realized because for less than five hundred dollars, all of my editing went out the door, and the income that can now be made in that time is far more than $500. Far more. Yep. No, I, I completely understand. And yeah, it's one of those things too. And it's it's a trick that, that I use sometimes is I will actually give myself a, a certain window of time. Um, for instance, I was, I was working on a, a very brief article early this morning that I like to put out every week. And I had a, a really good idea on what I wanted to say. And so I, I literally, it was uh, 7.35 a.m. Pacific time, to be exact. And I said, you know, at 8, a, at 8 a.m., this is going to be done. And sure enough, I finished it, and it was 7.59. And so I spent 25 minutes on writing an article. And that was, again, you know, a skill that I have, so I can, I can put those out there pretty quickly. Same thing with my YouTube show. I do edit that myself, but it's something that I not only enjoy, but because my, my YouTube show is a, is a pretty simple and, and straightforward production, it usually takes me about maybe 15 minutes to, to edit that. Um, now, going back to the website just because that's that's a, a top of mind and it's a good example when I went to redo my website uh, each time that was about a half a day project um, and, and you know like like you you know my my fees aren't inexpensive I mean I charge between at least 150 to 250 dollars an hour and if I'm gonna spend a half a day <laughs> to, to work on my own website and not even have it be at the branded level that I need for my business, yeah, that's four or five hours that I could be making money with by serving my clients in a skill that I do really well and then turn around and pay somebody who really is an expert at web design to do it much better than I can. Exactly. Or be writing eight to 10 more of your half hour articles, which get you more exposure. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the cobbler's kids choose are often the ones that are broken, right? Isn't that yes. <laughs> Yes, and I, I've heard as a brand expert, I've heard that a few times with with some of uh, my visual branding. So, uh, is as tough as it is for for somebody who is naturally on the uh, uh, on the disc personality profile, somewhat of a control freak to to let some of this stuff go. You know, eventually, you know, logic takes over. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So when you're working with a new client, are there any common themes that you see that you need to start pulling together and taking care of right away? 
Usually the, the biggest thing is is structure with the team. There's a number of, of different common issues that I see right off the bat, but I would say nine times out of ten, um, we don't have any system or structure on how to help our employees be productive. Um, in fact, you know, on, on shows such as yours and in articles that I write, the number one tip that I give, uh, and especially to people, you know, it's 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 like the airplane conversation. What do you do? And you talk about your consulting, and they say, "Well, is there one tip? You know, because I'm not going to buy your book, I'm not going to hire you. Is there one darn tip that you can give me that can help me in my business?" And I said, "Sure. If you do nothing else, work with your team to create service standards, and don't just simply write them yourself as the owner or CEO. Literally, work with your entire team on putting together what does service look like." here in our business? What's the experience that we need to create for each other and for everybody that we serve? And if you do that, and that's usually where I end up starting with most of my clients, uh, but if you do that, you're automatically going to be one notch above every competitor that doesn't do that. Uh, because if you work with your front lines on service standards, then you're, you're, you're getting everybody involved. You're creating buy-in. You know, when you, when everybody agrees upon things such as we're going to answer the phone within three rings, we're going to greet the customer within three seconds when he walks into the door, uh, we're going to resolve all problems within 24 hours, and if we can't resolve problems within 24 hours, we're going to call them within 24 hours and tell them why and what we're doing to fix it. You know, when you have a, a list of those types of things that everybody agrees upon, you, you get buy-in and you also get some some self-management, uh, um, and, and everything becomes clear as to this is what business looks like in our business. Have you read Work the System by Sam Carpenter? I have not. I have not. Apparently, I have to, though. Tell me about it. Sam Carpenter owned, if not still owns, a virtual call, call service, and his clients hire his company to answer the phone and you know route them through and take messages and all that. However, at the beginning of the book, he's telling the story about how they were struggling. They didn't have any standard operating procedures in place. It got so bad that I believe he was living out of the back storage room of his business. But he started getting the standard operating procedures in place. He enlisted the support of his team members to help improve them. And he gave them, he actually gave them incentive to help improve. You know, if your suggestion to improve this policy or this procedure drastically improves the way that business is managed or anything, you know, there's going to be a financial reward. And it's by the end of the book, it's, I feel like I'm giving away a movie. Let's just say a lot has changed (laughs) as he's telling the journey that he went through. But it really got me thinking about standard operating procedures in my own business and in the businesses of my clients. I'm really fortunate when I have team members come on, they're around forever. I mean, the only way that they are out completely is if there's just some personality clash and I don't clash with many people, period. I mean, even even the client who was let go earlier this week, you know, I'll be friendly and answer questions if there are any. It's just some people have to go. However, uh, you know, the communication has to start from within. And as good leaders, I found that we have to be open to communication from our team members. And I love how you said that that grocery store asks them what they want to do. 
whoever I bring into my team, I ask them what they want to do. Because I don't want to give them a task that they're going to be completely bored with because I know they're going to find another, because all my team members are consultants. They'll find a team member or another client, I mean, that will give them something else that they're interested in and I'll get shoved to the bottom. So I'd rather know that they love what they're doing and I'd rather know that if they want to do something else, if they see something else that we're doing and they want to learn how, that they feel comfortable approaching me and asking, you know, will you teach me? Will you give me resources? And it's always going to be yes. We call ourselves Team Awesome for a reason. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I, I like that name. Yeah, it was actually coined for my family, my husband and I and my two sons way at the beginning. But it's it's been adopted by the business. And now we're just the circus here with all of our kids and animals <laughs> <laughs> well it's, it sounds like a fun circus but uh to go back to to your point is yeah we we, we got to treat people like people yeah I, I i truly believe that you know if we're we're out of the great recession and and we 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 obviously are in in some ways but i think one of the biggest casualties of that great recession it was employee engagement um i think we we learned um to to do more with with less uh, and I, I think that you know, just having a one-on-one with a team member has has kind of gone by the wayside. And and literally, I'm surprised even with all of the reports, all the articles, all of the the different um, news outlets that are promoting employee engagement and the importance of it. I think, um, in fact, Dale Carnegie even had a study that said 75% of employees in the United States are disengaged uh, with their employer. And, and Gallup um, followed that up. I don't know if they, they deliberately followed it up, but they actually estimated that the United States loses uh, from a total business standpoint of at least $450 billion a year uh, from lack of employee engagement. Yeah, So yeah, we, we really need to get back to you know the Stephen Covey Seven Habits of Highly Effective People of Seek to Understand and then to be understood, it's proven that that you can increase profits by you know, actually getting your your team involved. Um, you know, while I work on on branding and strategy as well, you know, a lot of things you know come down to culture. And you know, when my clients truly do work on employee engagement and getting the whole team involved, so that you can get you know a a maximum productivity out of your out of your best resource, which is your people, um, you know, rather than just working them to the bone like they were a uh, uh, expense on on the balance sheet or the income statement, I should say. Um, you know, it really does transfer into profits. I mean, my clients that work with me, you know, one year, two year, three years, you know, they see income increases of over 100%. I think the average is like 124%. And you know, the main thing that we change is getting other people involved and getting them to want to be involved. Um, yeah, it, it sounds very simple, but you know, what's, what's common sense isn't always common practice. And I've seen it time and time again, when, when, you can get everybody engaged it, it truly leads first to to increase productivity and then to to increase profits oh yeah definitely increase company culture like a, a greater focus on company culture can even reduce the amount that you need to pay people 
to stay around because they love their job and they're willing to work for less. Not everybody, but some people are willing to work for less when the culture is better, especially when there's greater opportunity and, and communication. Yep, I've seen that before too. Yeah, it's certainly there. There has to be you know a, a decent level of compensation. Um, you you can't be seventy percent below what everybody else is paying because you know people need to live too. But I've seen it before where you know people are getting paid on on the lower end of the bubble. Um, he's still getting paid fairly, but lower than they would with some competitors, uh, but stay because they have work-life balance. They're respected at their work. They, they don't have a knot in their stomach when uh, they've got to get up in the morning and, and go to work. You know, that, that makes a, a huge, huge difference. And you know, I talked about experiences earlier, and I think, and, and Zappos mentions this as well. This was also said in the conference that I mentioned a couple weeks ago is they focus on not just simply creating an experience for their customers, but also and foremost, an experience for their employees. And I, I think that when employees truly have a positive experience, that, that they, they stay longer, they, they are more productive. Yeah, I've seen it in the bottom line, as I mentioned before. And it, it's much like I use an analogy when, when I talk about experiences of restaurants in that you know there are restaurants where i've had some terrific amazing top level food but we'll never go back because the food was the only positive thing about it i had to wait 2 hours for it the service sucked the the, the chairs were uncomfortable you know the tables were on top of each other um, you know it was it was didn't get the value for the price uh, but there are places that i frequent all the time where frankly the food is very very average i mean it's it's good. I mean, much like the income of, of employees, you have to be in, in a range um, and you can't be terrible. But, you know, the food is just OK. But everything else about the experience is top notch. The service is excellent. The TVs are exactly where I want them to be. The uh, the seats are comfortable. The lighting is is the right ambience and so on and so forth. Yeah. You know, so you know, the experience is all about you know all of the different aspects of the business, both for the the employee and for the customer and you know when when the experience is truly top notch you know that has a tendency to trump some of the other things like in my restaurant analogy the food or or in an employee standpoint the the income being just slightly lower than it may be someplace else i am all of a sudden getting memories of my first job out of college i was an interior designer in new york city and unexpectedly got pregnant with my first son shortly after I got a job. And it amazed me up until that point that in the interior design department, there were 11 of us or so, that people weren't staying around very long. I couldn't really understand it until I was pregnant and had to start going to my doctor's appointments. I would miss an hour or two of work and I would be docked for a half day or a whole day of work. And I was floored. Like, how, how can you take a whole day of my personal leave because I was gone for an hour? That's just wrong. Where's the company culture there? I would I would guess they probably didn't even give you a, a, a very good explanation as to why they do that. Either. Because that's the way we do it. Yep. 
Yep, I I hear that all the time, and and the clients that can get past that, uh, the the ubiquitous. Well, that's the way that we do it. That's the way that we've always done it. You know, I work with very very well, and we have a great time in in what we accomplish. Um, those that just can't get past the well, this is this is how we do it here arbitrarily without a reasoning, because there are some things that we don't need to change that we truly need to embrace. But let's not just simply do it because we've always done it that way or there's a piece of paper and a policy from 17 years ago that says we should do it that way. Yeah, let's look at the reasoning behind it and and change what we need to change. Um, you know, those folks that that, <laughs> that that can't let go of this is the way we've always done it usually don't become a beta training and consulting client. Do you know how many times I took work home to work on for that company? Oh, probably daily. Oh, no, never. Because I wasn't passionate about the job after that happened. You know, companies... After that, yeah, yeah, of course. Companies who give the, you know, unlimited sick or personal time. Yes, there are always going to be people who get more time off or take more time off. I mean, hey, look at me. I'm a mom of five. I would undoubtedly have to take more personal time off than anybody else. But if that were an option to me to have a job, if I ever had to go back to the workforce that would give me unlimited time off if my kids got sick, then you better believe I would be taking work home as often as I needed it or as often as I needed it just because that was such a valuable perk. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I I agree. I remember from a personal story, I remember being, I don't know, 10, 12 years old and and my grandmother lived with us. And uh, this was at the end of her career. She worked for uh, a bank in Chicago, uh, which was called First Chicago. It's long since been gone. It got merged into Bank One and now it's part of Chase or whomever. Um, But she used to bring, she she was an hourly employee and she used to bring homework from time time to time. And I remember, you know, my dad telling his mom, my grandmother, you know, how ridiculous that was, that she wasn't getting paid for it. And, you know, why, you know, why are you letting them take advantage of you? And she would always say, you know what, I did this. They didn't ask me to do this. I did this of my own volition. And she always used to tell my dad, you know, they respect me there. She enjoyed actually getting up and and going on the train and, and going to work for that bank. Um, and it had to do with with her feeling like she was truly part of something and not feeling like just another employee. Absolutely. In your business, besides website outsourcing, are there any other big points or big tasks that you have outsourced in the last few years? And I would love to know more about the changes that you've seen in your own business as a result. You know, I think the biggest thing from an outsourcing standpoint is, you know, I I actually work with other consultants from time to time um, on my business on aspects that I actually am an expert on. Um, for instance, yeah, I talk to a consultant for a few weeks and, and generally, you know, I, I won't, from a consulting standpoint, I won't work necessarily with somebody long term, but on short term basis, 
those bases, you know, I've worked with other consultants on branding or strategy um, to to get that different perspective. Sometimes it simply validates my thinking, which in and of itself is a value because then I won't vacillate in my head. It's like, all right, I got a second opinion and, and they, they do agree with direction here. And other times it it really does take me in another direction. For example, you know, I, uh, I purchased a, a short-term consulting program to, to talk to an individual across the country um, for five different sessions on my marketing message and branding. And you know, he basically you know, changed my whole messaging, um, which I just started to incorporate in my business. Um, you know, in the past, I've always been focused on my tagline, which is creating environments where employees actually want to come to work and customers want to keep coming back. And yeah, he mentioned, you know, you've got to sell the result and not the experience. You know, the, the, the message is fine, but people need to understand what, what's the end game. Um, and it forced me to go through numbers of my clients and how they increased their business, how they were able to take what I taught them and what I work with them on to, to actually transfer to the bottom line. And I found that, wow, you know, my, my clients on average grow their business by about 17% and they grow their income by about 124%. Um, so that's what I lead with now. Now I still use some of what uh, what some may call the soft messaging, but I lead right off the bat with, you know, this is, this is what my long-term clients experience, the ones that use me for at least a year or more. Um, these, these are the results that they get. Um, and it's beginning, frankly, I, I just started this a month or two ago. It's beginning to really get some traction and uh, get the emails in and, and get the phone to ring. So that's probably, other than the website, you know, a, uh, another example of, of trusting um, an outside source in, in my own business. Sounds like you probably pulled together some great numbers for some case studies, too. Uh, a few, <laughs> a few. Yeah, it's the uh, my my favorite case study, frankly, uh, which is a client I am uh, currently working with, have worked with for at least two and a half years, um, is a uh, financial institution. And and while I work with a lot of service based business businesses, restaurants, hair salons, and so forth, uh, the uh, the firms in the financial industry are a little bit easier to get those numbers because. They're, they're, they're public. But one in particular is a financial institution out in Cincinnati, Ohio. And yeah, they came to me first uh, to, to help them with some strategy, uh, but noticed that there was a lot of brand confusion. Um, they served a, a lot of different and disparate um, groups. They work with government employees, and then they also work with teachers, and then they work with police officers. And they're they're all great people. Don't get me wrong, but you know, having having worked with police officers many times before, and also having been a son of a teacher, a high school teacher for forty some years, they're, they, while they're both good people, they they think. 
very, very differently. You know, they have very different focuses, very different backgrounds. And to, to create a brand um, that's going to resonate with, uh, with all of these different types of group, groups is, is a challenge. And what we eventually came up with is, is their tagline was the glue. And it was a tagline that not only they used for years and years and years, uh, but most importantly, they, they lived that in the experience that they provided to their customers. And that tagline was simply banking on a first name basis. And you know, we, we went through a number of conversations on this, but the, the Cliff Notes version was basically who wouldn't, whether you're a teacher or a police officer or any profession, wouldn't appreciate banking on a first name basis. So we, we created and leveraged that particular idea in a lot of the brand messaging and the marketing that we did, um, not only externally, but also internally to reinforce what we were already doing, doing well. And, and they, they just took off. Um, they really did. As the CEO said, they, they see it in the bottom line and the increase in the loans that they do and the increase in the products that they sell. Um, yeah, so that, that to me is actually, <laughs> uh, my favorite case study, uh, especially, especially since, uh, um, Barb, the CEO goes out of her way to give me kudos. But, uh, as I always tell her, the reason it works so well and continues to work is because she and the rest of her management team are so diligent about actually implementing the ideas that we talk about rather than just having a conversation. So uh, that that's probably my favorite one today. I like that uh, banking on a first name basis. My husband is actually the manager of a e-cigarette shop. And he, he sometimes I feel like he's working at Cheers because he talks about his regulars. And he'll tell me stories about, and he'll sh- he'll show me the screenshots. People, his regulars will send him Facebook messages on his days off about what the other employees are doing, and they wait until the days that they know he's going to be there because they know that they're going to be getting higher quality service because he does know them. You know, he, he knows their name when they walk in the door. He doesn't have to ask for their VIP card when they go to checkout. He knows what flavor of you know liquid they want. But he's got that down. You know, it's, it's not it's not what drink do you want, Bob? It's like, what liquid do you want today? Yeah, that's that's not uncommon at all. Uh, you know, I'll give you two examples, one from the financial industry and one from from restaurants. From we, we often talk about banks that have tellers and or personal bankers that have been there for a long time. You know, that brand is is very much Julie behind the teller line or or, or, or Jenny at the personal banking desk, you know, where people will wait longer and say, no, you know, Jenny's my personal banker. Banker, <laughs> I'm gonna go and and see her at, at one of the restaurants that not only did I, I work with uh, as a uh, as a consultant, but also has become one of one of my go to places. You know, I literally have become friends with one of the managers, and I, I always text him. I said, "Hey, are you working tonight?" Because I know if he's working, that that I'm going to to get my meal exactly the way I want to, and you know. 
while uh, when he's not there, you know, certainly I still have a a very good experience, but it's always just a little bit different (laughs) than than when he's there. Oh, definitely. Yeah. My kids prefer to eat on the nights when my husband's cooking. (laughs) If they could go somewhere else, they would on on the nights that I'm cooking. Ken, this has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Where can listeners find you online and connect with you and get to know more about what you do? You know, the best way is simply to go to uh, the website, um, which which will be redone really soon. Uh, but that's simply www.btcinc.net. Um, there's a lot of complimentary content on there where they can get some, some very quick tips on branding, culture building, and strategy. And, and obviously, you know, all my contact information as well as a a contact form is there Um, and people that you know just simply love to talk to me on the phone can call me direct Uh, that's simply 714-681-2821 and we can talk about how we can we can apply the b plus c plus s formula to their unique business to raise their productivity and profits fabulous listeners if you're driving or on the elliptical while you're listening you can go to thekimsutton.com forward slash pp188 at your convenience and you can get all the links there as well Ken, thank you so much again. Do you have a last piece of parting advice? Not the one that you offer on planes, but another piece of parting advice that you can give? Yeah, the the best piece of advice that I can give other than the service standards um, is is to work with your team to set goals. Uh, Much like the service standards, you know, whether you're a team of 10 or a team of 100 or even a thousand, um, find a way to get your team involved on goals and, and the strategy for your business. Because when people do truly feel like they're involved, involved. Uh, there's there's buy-in and then implementation and execution of a strategy just simply becomes that much easier. 